0: Our first uh, scripture reading is from the book of 2 Timothy. I've made this uh, comment before to you that uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 is a a scripture that was uh, written on the inside of a Bible that I received upon my high school graduation a few years after Sage getting her Bible here on the day of her baptism. But it's a, a scripture passage that has sort of informed my life and helped me to be more faithful as a father as a parent in all areas of life. And so listen now to God's word as it comes to us from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17. Paul writing to his young protege says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And friends, this is the word of the Lord, thanks Well, uh, growing up in New Jersey, uh, one of the radio stations that I listened to uh, was one broadcasting from New York City, and it was ten ten winds news and Ten ten Winds News had a slogan it said, "You give us twenty two minutes we 'll give you the world." Of course, now you can check the sports, the weather, your stocks, your email, and all the world's news events on your cell phone. Well, today I'm beginning a sermon series on not 40 days in the world, but 40 days in the word. And it's our signature verse that comes to us from Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, in our second scripture reading, the apostle Paul gives to the church, and I believe you and me, a charge on how to live. It's gonna take me less than 22 minutes to read, but it's going to take the rest of our lives to truly live out in faith to Christ. And so I invite you to join me as we look at this passage, Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 17. Paul writing says this, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. And now, God, we come before you this morning with a yearning to draw closer to you. You're the God who flung the stars across the sky, and yet you're also the God who cups his ear to hear the cry of your children. In Jesus Christ, we worship and adore you as the one who has come close to be with us and for us and for our salvation. We offer to you our praise and ask that you bless us now in this time that we might see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly day by day by day. Through Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. One of the things that I uh, see, and it's kind of um, um, a disturbing trend, my opinion, is that there are a lot of uh, shy, timid, hesitant, reluctant Christians who are sort of fearful or anxious of standing tall, standing firm, being brave, being courageous for their faith. And in trying to figure out some of the reasons I'm not sure, maybe it's the cancel culture of today. Maybe it's the concern that there's this woke mob lurking around the corner, ready to wreck our lives or at least to make us sound or or look foolish. But I think there is another reason. There is this idea amongst Christians that we have to get our act together before we can go out in the world and have God use us. In other words, we gotta get rid of those weaknesses, we gotta get rid of those doubts, we gotta get rid of those fears, and then we can go out and serve the Lord. Friends, the Bible does not say that. Instead, we are to go out into the world with our doubts, with our weaknesses, with our fears, with our anxieties, and God can still use us. God's power can still work through us. For example, did you know that the Protestant reformer Martin Luther had such moments of overwhelming depression that there were days that he could barely get out of bed? The greatest preacher, arguably, of the 19th century was a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who, as he wrote, had his seasons of melancholy. Even Billy Graham, in the very early parts of his ministry, one time walked down to the woods, put his Bible on a tree stump, and cried out, oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. All that is to say, friends, trust me, God can dwell in you richly, even in your doubts. And here's the good news. All you have to do is just be yourself. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose the original 12 disciples that he chose? We know from the Bible that Jesus spent the whole night praying before he selected the disciples. But of all the people that he chose in Galilee, why them? Think about it. They weren't particularly educated. They weren't very eloquent. They weren't even religious. There's one thing that they were though. They were real. They were fish or cut bait fishermen. The kind of guys for what you see is what you get. You know what that tells me that tells me that jesus doesn't use artificial lures he uses live bait real people and that's important because people today are searching for real things and i think the reason is obvious because so much of what is happening in the world is unreal but let me ask you a question how did you come to be here today not necessarily to this room But how did you come to faith? Was it through the slick and polished prose of a preacher with great hair and pearly white teeth? (laughs) Was it because your parents or your grandparents had all the answers to those Bible trivia questions? Most likely, the gospel came to make sense in your life because somebody in your life, a real person, was willing to stutter and stammer out in words of why faith in Jesus Christ is important. Friends, that has made a profound difference in your life as you are now called by Jesus Christ to go and do likewise in this life that you're living. I think one of the problems is that for many of us, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly requires us to step outside of our comfort zone. I love the story that's told of a group of employees. They're from the same company and they carpooled together because they lived in the same subdivision. And they uh, went from their homes to the office building and then back again five days a week for three years. That commute took an hour in the morning and then an hour at the end of the day. Well, you can imagine commuting with the same people every day for three years you could get involved in all kinds of conversation as you're stuck in traffic. They discuss sports and presidential politics and their kids' education and global warming and whether they use paper or plastic. Every subject they covered underneath the sun. After three years, two of them discovered that they had one small thing in common. Both were Presbyterian elders serving on the sessions of their respective churches. Now can you imagine, three years it took for them to finally arrive at the subject of their faith. Now also in the scripture today, the apostle Paul gives us a charge on how to dress for success. Just like there are dress codes in workplaces and just like schools have dress codes, Paul gives us a dress code for our faith. Paul says, you heard me read it earlier, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility and meekness he also says clothe yourselves with love so these are our faith clothes they've been washed and dried and cleaned and pressed and these are the ones that we are to put on and wear regularly not just for a wedding not just for a funeral not just because it's our sunday best These are the clothes we are to put on and wear each and every day. That means Monday to Saturday in order that we might look just a little bit more like Jesus. Now, in order for us to understand this idea of wearing the right clothes, we kind of need to look at a verse just before the passage that I read for you today. What's important is looking at verse 11 in Colossians chapter 3 because nothing can change in our hearts, nothing can change in our lives if we don't look at what Paul's saying there. Verse 11 says this, Christ is all and in all. Or having moved from the south, I'll do my best southern drawl. Christ is y'all and in y'all. <laughs> we are made new. We have new life when we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says that a relationship with Jesus Christ will change us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. It will change our character. It will change our attitudes and our behavior. It will change our outlook on life. It will change our relationships as husbands and wives, as couples, as siblings, as neighbors, as co-workers. Yes, and even as a member of the church. But, but, if Jesus Christ is not, not our all in all, then that means we're not willing to change. Someone has said all too often in the church, we sing eight verses of just as I am, we come down the aisle just as we are, and we leave just as we were. (laughs) Reminds me of the story that's told about Mickey Cohen, one of the more uh, flamboyant crime figures of the 20th century. This was during the time of of Billy Graham in the 1950s and and his crusades. The rumors began to fly that, that Mickey Cohen, this mobster kingpin was interested about finding out more about how to become a Christian. And so people were praying, oh Lord, what a witness it would be if Mickey Cohen became a Christian. So a small group of Christians began meeting with Mickey Cohen. And one night, they explained to him, Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And that night, Mickey Cohen said, I want that. And he opened the door. Oh, people were ecstatic. Think about it. The greatest crime figure in America had become a Christian. Fortunately, as time went on, nothing seemed to change in Mickey Cohen's life. So Group of Christians went over to them and said, Now listen, Mickey, when you become a person of faith, you turn over a new leaf, you 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 change your old ways. And Mickey Cohen was dumbfounded. He looked at them blankly and said, Now listen, there are Christian baseball players, there are Christian cowboys, there are Christian politicians. Why not a Christian gangster? Paul says, Christ is all and in all kind of like the words from our opening hymn this morning. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You, O God, are my all in all. So let me ask you a question as we talk about scripture and sharing our faith and what it means to live it out. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that went something like this? And, and their response to you. They'll say, well, you know what, John? I really don't find uh, God in the Bible. I find God in nature. I find God when I'm walking on the beach or when I'm up in the mountains or when I'm on the golf course. And I feel a lot closer to God then than when I'm in church. Let me just Have you had that, anybody? I'm the only one. Okay, I'm the only one. All right, now this is for me then. <laughs> Let me tell you, from nature that there's three things you can determine about God. Three things, God is big, God is strong, and God is smart. But if you wanna know that God loves you, the place to find this truth is pressed within the pages of his word. And that's why we're doing Rick Warren's 40 Days in the Word. In order to be a healthy disciple, we believe you need to feed on God's word. Rick Warren writes that the goal of 40 days is this, to love the word of God like you've never loved before, learn the word of God like you've never learned it before, and to live the word of God like you've never lived it before. 2,000 years earlier, Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. You know, I've lived here in Pennsylvania now for four years, And I have experienced just how passionate you are about your sports teams. (laughs) You Steeler fans, you Ugg Eagle fans, (laughs) and you Penn State fans. I mean, how else do you explain that in the midst of COVID-19, there were 105,000 people in Happy Valley last night watching the Nittany Lions take on Auburn. Well, having moved up here from North Carolina down south, you just need to know that people love their ACC, whether it's their ACC basketball or their ACC football. And there is this unwavering allegiance to their respective team, regardless of how they may be doing. And so whether you root for the Wolfpack of NC State or the Tar Heels of North Carolina or the the Blue Devils of Duke or Wake Forest or some other ACC school, when I was down south, I saw a deep, enthusiastic, intense, passionate love. Now here's the reality. You really can't love uh, non-feeling things like a sports team or your car or your vacation home or your set of golf clubs. You can only love another living living being who also feels and thinks and loves. The eternal love of Jesus Christ has been revealed through his holy word. And when we read it, love it, learn it, and live it, we are changed by it. Dr. James Loder was a professor of philosophy of Christian education at Princeton Seminary, he was also an ordained Presbyterian minister. And years ago, he was headed with his wife and two daughters up to Quebec, Canada for a vacation. Well, on their long drive, uh, Dr. Loder stopped his car on the side of the road because there was a woman who was in distress because her car had a flat tire. And he was uh, normally not one to stop in those kinds of situations but this woman seemed to be putting herself in harm's way and trying to wave down someone to help. And so Dr. Loder stopped to try and help. He soon found himself underneath the woman's Oldsmobile trying to get a jack in secure place, when all of a sudden he heard the violent screeching of tires. Turns out there was a 64-year-old man who had fallen asleep at the wheel, and he crashed right into that Oldsmobile. The Oldsmobile, Oldsmobile fell off his jack, and on top of Dr. Loder. Now he describes in his book, The Transforming Moment, that his wife miraculously, all by herself, literally picked up that car long enough for Dr. Loder to be able to get out from underneath it. And amazingly, he lived from the accident. He lost the top of his thumb, he broke five ribs, his lung was bleeding, and he had scrapes and cuts all over his body. But he describes having two profound emotions immediately following that accident. One was an incredibly deep love for the people around him, which was namely his family. The second thing was that the disaster had an incredible purpose. And so he writes this in his book in describing what happened as a result of the accident. He says, this episode, in fact, raised countless new questions, disturbed several personal relationships, and forced me to re-envision the spiritual center of my vocation. Now that's just professor speak, for that event transformed his life. And in the three years that I was at Princeton Seminary, there were professors and colleagues of Dr. Loder who spoke how much he had changed after that accident, how different he was as a man and as a professor. Friends, God longs to be a part of your story and to use the things of your life, the good, the bad, and the scary to shape you, to mold you, to transform you into a person who will live their lives to the fullest for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christianity is about transformation. It's about you and me becoming new men and new women through the power of God. Paul sort of reminds us of this going back to the Colossians chapter three passage when he says in verse 12, that we are God's chosen ones. And then he adds that we are God's beloved. Because if Jesus Christ is in you and me, then we have the power to live as different people. And for that to happen, it doesn't mean we need new information. Doesn't mean we have to amass any more data. Doesn't mean we have to become experts at Bible trivia. If you believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died on the cross for your sins, you are cleared for takeoff. Information is not something that brings transformation, knowledge does not bring about change. You say, well, what does? when we let the word of God dwell in us richly. May it be so for each of you over the next 40 days, and indeed, all the days of your life. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for your holy word, how it speaks to us in all of the different circumstances of life, and how it shapes us and molds us by your spirit to become the kind of people you want us to be, and that is to become more Christ-like in word and deed. And so, Lord, allow us to be open as you shape our character and our devotion to you and and as we continue to give of ourselves and serve you in the ways in which you have uh, given us to, to be with people and in the circumstances and places in which you've allowed us to share our faith. Continue to bless each one as we open your word. Lord, may we find it life-giving. May we find it life-changing. And Lord, may you continue to provide your loving watch care over us in all of the next 40 days. We ask these things, we pray these things in Christ's holy name, amen.